0: Because once you get in that door, you can see that, which you won't see on Zoom, that your competitor's product is on a desk. His jacket has the logo of your competitor on it, right? Uh, Yeah, He's got swag from a different competitor somewhere else, Uh right? right? Your units have got dust on it, and the other two units are running at full speed.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm Jared Morgan, your host, and today we're talking to Glenn Poulis, my new friend. We're gonna talk about sales strategy, how to get your point across, learn about his book, Never Sit in the Lobby. And while we're doing that, we have, um, I thought this was gonna be a, a Linton special, but it's not because it's wrapped in chicken. We have uh, crab cake stuffed chicken breast uh, with some blackened seasoning on it. What do you think, Glenn? <laughs> Oh, that looks awesome are you on the way yeah so (laughs) and we're if you're watching on facebook or on youtube this is the inaugural episode of overhead grill cam which uh we're trying to step our game up here on our silly little backyard podcast so i hit it with some i don't know if you can see that on the i don't know if you can see that on the overhead cam i hit it with some duck fat which is my favorite thing to grease things up with because it just has a high heat uh, high smoke point, so you can get it really hot and it doesn't smoke. Also, coincidentally, my wife's least favorite thing for me to cook with. So,
0: Glenn, you ever do any grilling in your backyard? I do indeed, actually, and I, I just took away a very uh, a great little tip there with that duck fat. So, oh yeah, uh, I'm man, write
1: that down. Duck fat is uh, duck fat is the jam. It's like it gives it a little bit of a kind of a. I don't like to use the word gamey because that's kind of a uh, kind of a negative term, but it gives it like a foresty. Let's call it that a foresty flavor. Now, what's interesting, by the way, you guys will have to forgive me listening at home. It is literally 30 mile an hour winds in my backyard uh, as we're grilling. So every so often you're going to hear a brush of wind like that. Um, so we got the, the probes in there and uh, I've got it set at 355. I don't really know if that's going to be right. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on the probe and get it cooking so glenn it's so nice to have you here man oh thanks jared it's great to be here uh where are you calling in from by the way me i'm in uh today i'm in our quebec uh
0: canada branch but i'm based in uh near toronto and mississauga ontario i've been been working there my whole career but uh we acquired a company in quebec and uh I'm, uh, I'm now getting that, helping with the integration of that into our core business. So I'm here every week for a couple of days. So I'm in Blainville, Quebec.
1: Oh, and, no, uh, did you see that? He just went straight French Canadian, like <laughs> in a moment's notice. That's how you yeah. know he's legit. And so my last business, we actually acquired a company in Canada. And so I went from knowing um, very little about Canadian culture to, to knowing a little bit more not a ton but they used to my canadian colleagues always laughed and made fun of me because i was always trying to talk about poutine and molson ice <laughs> yeah, and hockey that's, that's and right, whatever yeah. like things i could sort of get with yeah
0: well poutine quebec is the is the uh, you know the where where poutine's from right and uh,
1: yeah well they they made fun of me so i ended up the first time i went up there to meet with them i i after the meeting i went and i was, <laughs> I was in toronto right which is like one of the most you know metropolitan you know like cosmopolitan cities in the world so trying to go and say i'm gonna get like some you know traditional canadian eh, i don't know if toronto toronto is like everything right and so i didn't right, know that at yeah. the time so i went to some yeah. bar, i went to some bar and they were like oh they have poutine here i ordered it and then my colleagues <laughs> my canadian colleagues are kind of like man i don't know <laughs> like, i don't know that's i wouldn't call that authentic pretty popular
0: um, nowadays though here that's
1: yeah cool. well what's what's not to like if you don't know what poutine is French fries, cheese, and gravy.
0: Yeah, uh, it's actually cheese curds and gravy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. cheese curds,
1: yeah. which is a, like, yeah. a nother, like a whole other, yeah. a whole other thing. Whole other thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like it sounds like something that a drunk person came up with one night, oh, and yeah. then, uh, but we gave it a French name, and therefore it is high yeah. high class. Yeah. Yeah. Poutine. So, put, yeah. poutine. Yeah. yeah. I never did nail that. <laughs> so, so tell me, uh, i, I read. <laughs> Holy Whoa. moly, did you see that? Okay, yeah. keep the cameras rolling. Yeah. A gust of wind. All right, I, I have these trays that I put the food on and I literally wow. just broke a tray because the wind is so bad out here. And if I could
0: ask, you're, you're in t shirt so you must be, where
1: are you located? Because it must be warmer than it is here. I am in Alabama, uh, just south of really? Birmingham in a city called Hoover. And it's uh-huh. it's been cold here, but it's like weirdly in the upper 70s today, yeah. uh, and so nobody knows how to dress or act because we don't believe it, and it's gonna get cold later in the day or whatever. But it's like yeah. we in Alabama and in the South, Southern U.S. We we have this is what we call false spring, is what yeah. this is. So you'll get like you know six or seven days of weirdly warm temperatures, and then and then you get your back up below freezing, you know.
0: Yeah, in Canada, we have those those uh, those false starts where, you know, you've been cooped up in your car with the windows up and your winter coat's on and everything, and it'll get to like, you know, let's say 50 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that, and everyone's in t-shirts and thinking yeah. it's summer, right? I mean, meanwhile, if it was summer and it went down to 50, people would be freezing to death, right? So Yeah, uh, it's it's all yeah.
1: relative, right? It's kind of yeah, you're trying is, to wheel yeah. it into existence. So tell me a little bit about your background. You're in Canada. All right. Um, yeah. you have a cool background in sales that comes from well I'll I let know. you tell it tell, tell me All about right. your background
0: yeah so uh, yeah I went to school for electronics uh, to become an electronic uh, engineering technician and you know learn how to fix things and uh, and the government hired me at a school and uh, after a few years working for the government um, my boss said hey you're in the wrong field you should you should go into sales and I, you know I kind of took him at his word and I applied for a job and uh, it's quite kind of a long but funny story, but I did get the job. And uh, I worked for a company for five years, uh, learning the tricks of the trade and selling. And uh, after five years, I uh, was just turning 30 and I, I wanted to go out on my own. So I approached them with a business idea. Uh, where I wanted to split off a little bit of the technology they were selling and focus on it, and they could keep their core business. And I would even split the ownership. And the the, the owner guy said, you know, write, why don't you write a plan? I'll show you why it's not going to work. You're better off just staying where you are. And, you know, and so the next day, I actually I actually tendered my resignation and started a business on this, you know, completely newfangled technology, which ended up going nowhere. It was the cell phone, right? And- oh. uh, yeah, I mean, who ever thought wireless would go anywhere, right? Yeah, really. What a time to be alive. This was in 1991, right? And uh, and so I came, uh, started a company selling products to the to cell phone companies, right? And uh, you know, and in the in the U.S. now, you know, that's Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you know, companies like that. In Canada, it's Bell, Telus, Rogers. And so our our company was in Canada, and it was was focused on selling to those companies. I sold that business. Um, in the early 2000s it was a quite a successful exit we be, got rolled up into a public company uh and they subsequently ended up you know uh I, I was very immature at public markets and stuff they kind of was one of those gobbling up and separating out deals where we ended up all sort of looking for work after a couple years oh, uh man. so i found myself sort of out on the street and um so you know, I thought, hey, what better thing to do than just start over and do what I did again? So I started another company, uh, doing the exact same thing, selling to the cell phone companies, helping them build the networks, and um, and this time I, uh, you know, I what I did was I borrowed a couple uh, a couple consonants from my name, GP. I added a vowel, a. It came up with the name Gap, Gap Wireless, and. Uh, and ran it with my business partner for 15 years. And, and last February, we sold it to uh, an American private equity firm in Washington. And um, I've agreed to stay on, uh, as, as did my partner, for a few years, helping them to do the integration of some other companies that they're buying. And, uh, and it's sales co- these are sales companies through and through. That's what we do. We're, we're classified as the distributors. And we sell technology from all over the world in Canada and the U.S., And, uh, you know, I'm really the general manager of the business. I manage all aspects of, but really, I've always, I've always been the, one of the chief sales officers of the business, right? So when did you write the book? So I wrote the book during the pandemic. The rules I started writing down in the 80s and I started sharing them with people, uh, you know, cracking jokes. Some of them are kind of funny and uh, stories are kind of funny that go with them. And then I started naming them after people and, um, and so you know, good, bad, or indifferent, right? And of course, for the book, I had to change the name slightly. And so, uh, and the hardest part now is remembering the fake name, you know, right. because. And, uh, but but nonetheless, uh, yeah, and I over and I some some companies heard my stories and stuff, and they actually came and asked me to speak at some sales meetings, in the eighties and the nineties, and they started saying, "Oh, you should write a book," and I actually never did and then the pandemic uh, you know canada the lockdown was pretty severe and pretty long yeah. and so had nothing to do uh, our our company was actually uh, deemed a special uh, you know we couldn't close because of the uh, pandemic because of our, mm. our business and communications but all our staff had to work from home i was in the office the warehouse guys were there but but on the weekends i had nothing to do so i just buckled down and and uh, as i like to say i started writing 2000 words every weekend it got to about seventy-five thousand words, and I send it to this editor. This, and after the first edit, the lady sends it back and she says, "Dude, you can't swear that much in a book." And, uh, <laughs> so she moved. She removed the F word from the book, and the, it ran from seventy-five thousand down to seventy-one thousand words. Uh. And then we settled on <laughs> we settled on three it's and a you know a couple of F words here and there. <laughs> so
1: and she did like a control F. Control yeah. F and find delete. all, you know, F yeah. words and delete, change it to frig or whatever. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And uh, so we said, I said, hey, how about we settle on 71,000 words, right? And so, uh, yeah, so during the pandemic and then sort of coming out of it and it, it was coincidentally, it actually hit Amazon the exact same week that I was literally signing the papers to sell the company, right? And Wow. Uh, yeah, it was so uh, coincidental. It was probably not the best coincidental because, of course, the uh, the new owners right. wanted my attention, and uh, yeah, of course, I was trying to put some attention to the book launch too, right? So,
1: well, So, the book is called "Never Sit in the Lobby." Um, yeah, and tell me what that means exactly.
0: All right, so it's it's one of the early on rules that, like in the book, there's you know the the subtitle, you know, fifty seven uh, tips. On how to run a business and a career in selling, and it's it's some of the tips that one of the tips that comes out early on, and it's part of how you behave when you first show up at a customer. And uh, it wasn't my idea. The uh, I think one of the other editors that it went to after the first lady, um, she actually came up with the idea. She said this chapter is a great one, and it's so never sit in the lobby means you know you know uh, you know early is on time and on time is late, right? So you basically want to show up just slightly before your meeting. You don't want to be late. And uh, nowadays there's not many receptionists in the office as there was before, but you go in the lobby, you call the guy, right? Now you're waiting for him to come down and talk to you. A lot of people will sit down, they'll get on their cell phones. Now more than ever, they're on their cell phones, distracted, paying candy crush, something like that, right? Guy walks in, he's standing over top of you, you know, six foot, four inch. Dude, you know, and you're now crouched on a couch playing playing video games, or you know, texting somebody, or you know, heaven forbid, you're on the phone, and and waiting. It's just not a good look, right? So yeah. early on, I made this rule: never sit in the lobby. Don't be on your phone. Don't be reading magazines. You know, just be standing there waiting for the guy to come in. And when and then when he walks in, shake his hand and and you know, get ready to get down to business, right? And the, it's in the middle of a of a rapid-fire set of rules the next rule is always have something in your hand and something in your mind right so the guy walks in you can shake his hands with your right hand and your left hand you've got you know maybe it's the quote that he asked for maybe it's in Canada we love our donuts, right so if it's in the morning but not past 10 30 you can bring donuts, right? And, uh, and uh, people don't like it after 1030 because then you just ruin their lunch, right? And they feel guilty and then they get mad at you. So, uh, but it could be donuts. It could be a promo item, a water bottle, a pen that you're giving away, you know, company, company, uh trinket or promo item, anything that, you know, that it's so that it's something, right? It could be a brochure. And um, so yeah, you've got that, you can hand it to them. And then you have something that you want to talk to them about. So there's, I'm, I'm here to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. And, um, you know, then there's a series of other rapid fire rules that I suggest people follow when they're, when they're presenting themselves at the company, right? But yeah, that's how Never I, Sit in the Lobby came about.
1: I love books like that too, by the way, because there's nothing. Uh, it's so helpful to get in and somebody just kind of hits you with some practical rules um, where you can actually go down. It reminds me of something I used to this isn't unique to me, but I used to tell my sales reps, like, you know, little things, the little, little ways that you phrase things can have such tremendous impact in the way people perceive you and perceive what you're trying to talk to them about. And so I would, you know, as a big believer in you never thank somebody for their time. Um, right. Because if you say thank you for your time, it's this implication that, um, I know your time is valuable and you've wasted it on me and whatever it's what I'm about to tell you is valuable and so you haven't wasted your time so I'm not thanking you for your time I usually will trade that phrase out with something like hey I'm so excited to be here or something like that excited to talk to you or something but it it doesn't kind of gives the same scratches the same social itch but it doesn't uh, lower you right just i don't know i I always i always used to think when i was given a presentation i would say to somebody you know early on in my career i would say does anybody have any questions and everyone would say no right that would be the it's like the program response no even if you did have a question you say no well no is like the vocal intonation is down and it's it's a negative right and so instead of saying do you have any questions i would just literally just change out that phrase and say does this all make sense Is this all make and when you say that people go yes and then there's two things the one it's a positive and two they've just said out loud that what you're saying makes sense right and so they can't later go back and think oh well you know this guy isn't making any sense I don't this doesn't this doesn't add up or this like you've already said it makes sense right yeah yeah
0: exactly. Yeah, you touched on a lot of things that actually come out in the book, and uh, and the one nice thing about, of course I wrote the book, so I like the book, right? Yeah. And uh, but um, you can flip to any any chapter any time. You don't have to read the whole book. It's not like a it's not you know. There's other books out there like you know things like spin selling and challenger oh, yeah. model, and and those are like it's like an encyclopedia of things you need to learn in order to follow the thing. Mine are 57 rules to govern your day. Right. And, and some of them are, you know, some of them are about, uh, you know, how how to get in the door, how to stay in the door, how to, how to get them on the phone, you know, um, you know, presentation techniques, things like that, how to be a good person. Uh, One of my, you know, my favorite sayings is, you know, learn to become a pleasure to do business with at all costs. That needs to be your, that was the prime directive of my latest company and one of our one of our most famous things about our business that still holds true to this day, people still say, you guys are a pleasure to do business with. And oh, um, awesome. yeah, um, you know, you talked about uh, no and what have you, and also you're right, it is a negative word, but I have a chapter in there called Freedom Begins With No. And oh. um, and this is one that I share with the sort of the, the, the younger salesmen that come along where, you know, We'll have will have presented a, a a quote or something to a customer we sell high-end equipment to the carriers antennas radio products things you know these are expensive items and uh, you know we normally we, we normally go through a process of you know sort of uh, coordinating the best pricing and what have you but then there's always a buyer that wants the last kick at the can or what have you and the salesman will go in knowing full well, we're at the bottom line. And then the guy asks him for more. and He's like, oh, well, maybe I need to talk to my manager, right? And I mean, <laughs> you know, instead of saying no, right? And so my whole idea behind freedom begins with no, is that when you say yes, then all the work starts and you have to do the work, right? You got to go talk to your boss. You got to get yelled at for being a wimp and not be, you know, but if you had to said, well, no, sir, I, I mean, we've come in with our best price. As a matter of fact, you know, these things, you know, the semiconductor shortage, they're, you know, they're going in back order. So if we don't actually get the orders placed in the next week or so, we're probably going to miss the next production cycle and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be 18 to 22 weeks delivery, you know, so we need to get, we need to get your approval, you know, you you want to go ahead with it. Right. And, and so saying no, that's when your freedom begins with, it's just like, you know, uh, you know, when, uh, uh the uh when you were a kid or whatever you know you'd say to somebody you know hey do you want to go to see the movies and one of your kids would say no I can't afford it right and nobody would ever question them right we'll say what do you mean you can't afford it and you gotta you know go you know they might say well ask your mom and they're like you know usually that was like a no I can't afford it that that's kind of like a uh at least in my culture in Canada or whatever that means don't yes. ask me anymore yeah it was a I'm shutdown. not going to exactly. the movies yeah. And people say, okay, fine. He's not going to the movies. Let's go. Right. Let's go without him. Right. And, uh, and so the moment you say no, you, you know, you kind of get a sense of freedom and it, but it's really about being a mature salesperson and knowing where you are in the process and in the cycle and not, um, not forcing somebody else in the, uh, you know, in the company to say no for you. Right. You know, if you're a senior salesperson, sure. You should be able to deliver the full the full part of the full spectrum of the presentation, including the final presentation of price. And when you're firm, you're firm, and you know you need to stick to your guns.
1: So yeah, I, I, it's yeah. a good it's a good way to characterize that. I mean, I've always thought that sort of low functioning salespeople. One of the signals that you have a low functioning salesperson is somebody who only wants to sell on price, yeah. right? And my my response to that always is like, look, man. If I'm selling the cheapest thing out there, I'm I do not really need a lot of salespeople, right? Because I'm gonna win right. deals just when people make price comparisons. Like I'm gonna get a ton right. of deals going our way. So that's number one. And number two is like, yeah, it it lowers somebody. If you can't tell them no, somebody else has got to walk in and tell them no. Then I mean that's part that's part of your job as a business. I think of, you know, sales as business development. Like you're developing our yeah. business, you're representing our business, you should be able to articulate to somebody why the answer is no. You know, and knows a powerful word and you've gotta be so a guy I used to work with, I won't name his name because of what we said, but he used to he used to say you you can't have your salespeople walk in like humping dogs is what he used to call right. it. And as you walk in the room and like they just oh, they just can't wait to get to a sale and they're what do you know? Oh, sure, we'll do that and we'll do that. Like you have to walk in yeah. believing that you can bring somebody value and you can solve a problem for them. And if you can solve yeah. a problem, Right, then you're, uh, then you're not. You're not a salesperson. You're a problem solver, and so if they really want to solve the problem, you can solve it for them, right? And you can. Yeah. Here, let me walk you through. how I can do all this for you. Yeah. This is what you need. And then we're talking about price. Another guy I worked with used to say this all the time. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. If they're too focused on the price, they're not mm-hmm. thinking about the value or what this is actually going to do for them. And you can get lost in that stuff. And it's so interesting to me. That no, um, there just aren't a lot of education programs in schools and secondary schools, post-secondary schools, that teach you these skills. And it's one of the most sales skills are one of the most universal ways to take a person and give them employable skills, right? I don't think I don't think anybody can do it, but it is one of the most universal, universally applicable skill sets you can train a person because. Everybody. Every company needs someone who can be a rainmaker.
0: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, we have a rainmaker actually in our business too.
0: So, it's yeah. funny the what the the way you started that that sort of section on uh, was really I, I kind of smirked a bit because you, you you remind me there's a chapter in my book called WSP Show them the WSP, and I mean it's I'll just share that the the iteration in the book is the third iteration right and uh, <laughs> okay because. Uh, yeah, the first, the first iteration was I had to get it down. I wanted to get it down the way it was truly written and shared back in the eighties when you could pretty much say anything in a group of men and get away with it. Okay. And, uh, and then, you know, and the, of course the editor almost, uh, almost had a heart attack. Right. And, um, the, so I had to completely rewrite it and then the the, even the second edit was like outraged at the uh, uh, you know and it it was kind of about intersexual dynamics with men and women and but anyways (laughs) I came up and I was able to reduce it to uh, what they call now in the book winning sales personality and um, but it's kind of like what you were saying and it's basically about not being the not walking in with your the braggadocio kind of you know uh, you know the with the white beater shirt on and the muscles and what have you, that's not a naturally attractive position. And I talk about, you know, uh, there's a, I give a story an analogy in the book, you know, where, you know, there's a, there's a seminar, you know, and just to cut the story short, you know, there's a, there's a pretty girl in a red dress standing near the entrance. Right. And there were three other men that were standing on the other side, other side of her. And I ask everybody who saw, who saw the three men, you know, in the in the lobby in front of the you know talking there one well, hey i had a briefcase and no one puts up their hand right and then i'm like okay now who saw the girl in the red dress and like the whole ah. audience everyone puts up their hand right and i'm like and what did she do to get your attention and they're like well nothing and i go exactly because she just was right like she, she wore just, the red
1: dress right yeah she
0: was wearing the red dress like she was and that's what you need to do with your product you need to put it into a red dress so that it looks naturally attractive, right? And attraction is not a choice, right? And so, you know, if you're, you know, if you're selling, you know, and I think part of the example in the book is about a car or what have you, right? You know, if the if the best part of your car and the most most exciting appealing part of your car maybe is the speed, but not the price or the delivery or things like that, right? You know, like maybe a Mercedes GT or something, right. but you just show it being fast. And the, the customer will do the rest of the emotions for you. They will get attached to the car because you're just showing it. You don't have to say, oh, my car is so fast, you know, and it's like 680 horsepower with dual overhead cams and, you know, uh, coil over springs and offset, you know, tires. And like, the, the guy will figure that out all on his own. He just wants to see that it looks cool and it goes fast, right? And you need to demonstrate it going fast, not brag about it going fast, right? And that's sort of the concept behind WSP, right? And so I say that, and we that in uh, my company we just reduce it to that, like show them the WSP. You know, if the radio's bigger, faster, wider, deeper, you know, 20% cheaper, whatever the whatever the WSP is for that product, allow that to come out in the presentation in a non braggadocious kind of I, a way.
1: I'm, I'm dying to know what that was back in the 80s. Yeah. Like I, I don't know.
0: Are, were the, just tell me, were the initials <laughs> the same or no? The initials are always the same, yeah. Okay. And so the people that are older know me or whatever, they're like, how'd you get that
1: in the book? And I'm like, We'll read the chapter. And they're like, that's nothing like the story. Uh, well. <laughs> and, uh, <yeah. laughs> it's like the yeah. inside joke for people that were around. Let's check uh, Let's check the chicken to yeah, see what kind of WSP sure. we got in the grill here. Um, okay, looking pretty good. So I got the probe in there. It's sitting at about, wow, it's sitting at 144. But that's actually in... The crab meat, so maybe I probably need to poke that in the chicken part. Um, what
0: temperature is that you're cooking
1: at? So I've got it at one, or excuse me, 355, which might have been yeah, a little,
0: perfect.
1: I, might, I might could have toned it down if I wanted to go a little slower. While I'm doing this and trying not to burn my fingers on this probe, um, I, one thing that I was curious about, so you've been building this since the 80s, and yeah. have you, did you find that anything that you created, any mantra that you created in the eighties didn't hold true or didn't, did, you know, over time that kind of died off? Or did you find that most of them stuck around?
0: Yeah. So that's really funny that, uh, I had a lot of comments early on in the book because some of the stories are literally like, some of them are new and some of them are from the eighties. Right. And some right. of the people are like, oh, you should update that story. And I'm like, hey, it took place in 1986. Like, why do I need to update it? Right. Like, and, and uh, you know, it's like a, this guy came in my house once some, some number of years ago, and it was my graduation photo from, uh, from technical school, right? And, of course, it was eight, 1981. I had feathered hair, and my glasses were two-toned, right? I was in 1981, right? right. And the guy goes, right. oh, you, yeah. you should get that photo updated. And I'm like, hey, it's my graduation photo. Like, that's what I look like in 1981, right? But, anyways, the um, uh, so all the core things that I learned in in when I started, uh, I moved into selling in 1985, are exactly the same today. It's just people are confusing selling and marketing, right? And so one Ooh, of the yeah. one of the stories I always say is don't for, don't confuse marketing with selling or selling with marketing. And I have a very simple rule there People will argue it a little bit, but fundamentally just the way I govern my, cause we have a large sales team and their job is selling, right? And we have a marketing department. So, so all of the lead generation, all the web outreach, anything we're doing on LinkedIn, any kind of social media stuff, any, uh, AdWords campaigns, any email marketing, excuse me, any kind of advertising, anything like that, that's marketing, right? Being right. in front of the customer with those leads, selling the customer, that's selling, right? And don't confuse the two. So you can either be a salesman or you can be a marketing, but you, the market, the salespeople are not hired to do marketing. And that's why I say um, the sales room in my company is the only room where the chairs have the nails uh, installed in the other direction, pointing upwards,
1: <laughs> right? Get out of the seat. Get out <laughs> yeah. there and go
0: sell. That's right. It, exactly. And so really you know and so some people like so oh well now i can do it over zoom and you know and yeah some things you know you can there are like software as a service and you know there's all these kinds of things like grammarly or whatever and yeah no one calls on your company to sell you grammarly it's all done software as a service or whatever but that's not what i'm selling i'm selling yeah, that's like, not
1: what most people are selling by the way like i think right. i think that software as a service that software technology way of selling has seeped into culture look i, I sold a tech i was a in a tech business right and that's what i started and we sold online proctoring online services done for online programs online 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 and yet our our most successful business development people were the ones that would get on an airplane and go sit down and meet somebody because business is done face to face and yes, over exactly. over a meal or whatever because yeah. you it's all of these intangible things that are communicated by body language and the other things that you talk about and where people start to know you and trust you and trust that okay i talked to him about this thing now i'm talking to him about this other thing and because of the rapport i've built over here you know i've built the the zoom meeting has made like a generation of business professionals lazy because it it it, there's this expectation now That the interaction that we're supposed to have is supposed to be so quick and to the point that there's no time for anything else. And I 100% agree, but I've got people probably listen to this going, screw that, I don't want, like, I 100% agree that pre-pandemic, we were in a situation where... People, there were too many meetings, and meetings were drone on for too long, and blah, 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 yeah. blah. I feel like the pendulum has swung way too far in the other direction. Yeah. We yeah. we couldn't, you know, trying to get people to show up to an office, and they're like, I'll never come to the office. Right. Never? You'll never come to the office? You'll never fly out to see a customer? Oh, I could just do it over Zoom. Yeah, but what's your close rate on that? And I, I don't know. I just, yeah. I just... Fundamentally, there's been some things about just human connection that's a part of business that have been lost in the Zoom generation.
0: Yeah, I mean, like uh, the, some of the standard replies I'm always doing with salespeople or whatever, I'm like, you know, hey, did you get that order from the customer or whatever? And like, oh, I'm working on it. I'm like, where where's it at? Right. And <laughs> oh, you know, they're thinking about it or something, you know. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, have we, is it in purchasing? Is it, where is it at in the sales cycle or what have you? Right. And I, you know, did you send them a quote? you know, and then, oh yeah, I sent him a quote. I go, did you hand deliver it? Well, no, he was busy. Okay, well, what'd you do? I emailed it to him. Okay. Well, did mm. you, did you call him? Did you follow up? Well, I, I base with him over email or what have you. And I'm like, you didn't phone him. You didn't oh. visit him, <laughs> you know, the, so dreaded, I just the dreaded
1: kept... touch base.
0: Yeah, right? exactly. And, um, and so I'm constantly saying, you know, if you're not in front of the customer, then you're not learning. Right. And, uh, Again, early on in the book, one of the rapid-fire rules is always ask for a mini-tour, right? And everyone's like, a mini-tour? What the hell's a mini-tour, right? I said, well, a mini-tour is a tour that's mini. A tour takes all friggin' afternoon. There's a guy at the front of a bus, you're sitting on a bus, you know, you're driving around town, you got to stop ten times, get off, go and look at the Statue of Liberty, you got to listen to the story of how the city (laughs) was founded— Nobody wants a friggin' tour, right? Well, maybe you do if you're on in Miami with your wife and you want to go see, you know, South Beach or something. But if, you know, if you're, nobody wants to give you an entire tour of their entire, you know, 200,000 square foot building. But a mini tour is one that they can, they can wrap their brain around, right? Like, oh, I just want to see your new lab. I just want to see your new production setup. I just want to see your new warehouse if you're selling like tow motors and stuff, right? Yeah, just want to see your parking system if you're selling, you know, automated parking, whatever, right? A mini tour. Because once you get in that door, um, you can see that, which you won't see on Zoom, that your competitor's product is on a desk. His Jacket has the logo of your competitor on it, right? Yep. Uh, He's got swag from a different competitor somewhere else, Uh right? right. Your units have got dust on it, and the other two units are running at full speed, and uh, you you learn a lot, right? And um, so that's sort of the reason behind, uh, you know, always ask for a mini tour. And the other thing is, you know, often if you're visiting customers, a lot of our customers are repeat, so you'll know this guy, this guy, that girl, whoever, right? So... The, the other ones are like the call book factor, never forget a face, right? So, you know, the the call book factor is when you show up, if you're a little bit early, park in the lobby, bring up your phone, go through your directory for that customer and, and remember all the customers that you know, and then go back in your brain and pull their face forward and connect the name with the face in the car. Oh yeah, Sally, that's the one with the red hair. Bob, he's bald. Right. You know, and, and, you know, now with LinkedIn or whatever, it's super simple, right? If you don't know yeah. exactly who these people are and you can snap to it like this, then go to LinkedIn, get their picture, and remember who they are because you're going to bump into them and they're going to remember you and you're not going to remember them fast enough. And it'll be a very disple- displeasing, you know, situation, right? Because you're going to feel stupid and it's like, Oh, hi, hi, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. You can't, you can't relive that moment. Right. And so, but when you, this guy's giving you a mini tour, maybe he hasn't worked with you before and you're going through the building. You're like, hey, Bob, hey, Sally, hey, Jack, hey, Jill. You know, and he's like, holy shit, this guy knows everybody. <laughs> That's and, right. And of course, everybody's walking by you. And one of them, you know, Jill hasn't seen you for two years. She can't remember who you are. And it's going in going, who was that guy that was, you know, in the, who said hi to me? Like, he remembered my name and he was so nice and friendly and, and then then uh, uh, three hours later it snaps my, oh my god, that's Glenn from Gap Wireless. I really like Glenn. <laughs> and then exactly. the next time she sees you, she actually probably will remember your name. And she'll be very pleased just to be to greet you or to say hi to you. And the guy's like, wow, everyone really likes him around here. So then you get social proof, right? And yeah. for a lot of customers, social proof is uh, you know, a powerful concept of uh, you know, other people like your product right and, the, the um, common
1: thread with everything you're saying though is like human connection like you're making a connection is, yeah. to these people and yeah. you know the thing that was jumping out when you were talking about a mini tour the best sales people are good listeners right the worst yeah. the, the cheesiest sales people the ones that come out and they immediately is like let me tell you about what i got here this is the number one you know and they just start going into all this crap the best sales people and when i have gone into situations where i'm selling and i'm i'm the best situations are when you just ask somebody a question, maybe even not about the necessary problem that you're trying to solve or how your product – just just ask them a question and then genuinely listen. And uh, so a business that uh, my group and I are starting up is a garage floor business, one of the couple businesses oh, we're doing that. right now. Yeah. We do like <clears> – <throat> We do like high-end garage floors, and Epoxies. I just tell the team, yeah. "Yeah, well, oh no, we're better than epoxy, baby. We're all the way up on oh, okay. this part. Let me get you on the sales, oh, okay? But um, <laughs> sure. you don't want epoxy. Uh, but so, but we did a trade show over the weekend, and I, I've done like a million trade shows in my career, right? And so yeah. I was teaching the team, like, "Hey, this is kind of how I do trade shows and whatever," and they were all doing a great job. And uh, at the end of the trade show, we had a couple of people that we were following up with. And they were like, Hey, I want to do business with you guys. You guys are the most honest group we had spoke to the whole time. And I've even, even with even me, I still get surprised by stuff like that because we didn't make any decision to be honest or we just, when people would walk up, we would say things like, Hey, tell me about your garage. Like, where do you live? And what do you do in your garage? Oh, wow. You got a woodworking shop. And then we'd let the conversation veer off topic for a minute just because we were making a connection with that person. And then, we, I mean, inevitably, it comes back to what we were talking about. But there's something about just taking a genuine interest in a person and what they're interested in or their career. Or their, you, you were asking, like, hey, show me that new lab. Show me that lab. Man, they yeah. probably worked hard on that lab, right? Yeah. And so you're showing an interest in it. And suddenly they go, you know, I like that guy. And it's funny how much, they'll say, I like this Glenn guy. When Glenn probably said 10, was talking 10% of the conversation and the other 90% was them talking and they go, I really like that Glenn guy. Well, you like it because you walked out of that conversation feeling, feeling heard. Exactly.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a lot on my book in terms of uh, listening. There's a, there's a, it's a called the active listening and uh, the um, there's an exercise at the end of the chapter it's one of the longest chapters in the book and people are like you know why is this thing so this chapter so long it's because i'm so passionate about being a good listener and not interrupting people that you know and and so the 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 exercise is and the challenge is to go home and and try it on your husband or wife and you can only say like five things like "Uh uh-huh oh really (laughs) oh my God, you know, what happened next and how did it make you feel? Right? Like those are the only things you can say. Right. <laughs> and so, and no matter what, you can't break frame and you can't tell them you're trying any kind of a new thing. You just have to be in that moment and only say those handful of things. Right. And so I give the example, you know, where the, I think it was, you know, my wife got accosted in the, and on the trails around the house, walking the dogs, there's a dog off leash. And she's like, Oh my God! This lady hit her dog off leash. I'm like, Oh my God! You're kidding? What happened next? She's like, Oh well, you know, we had this, we had words and da da da, and this and that. I'm like, Oh my God! No way! And <laughs> and it's just really, <laughs> Oh my God! What happened next? And then at the end, I'm like, Oh my God! How did all that make you feel? She's like,
1: I was pissed off. And you know, <laughs> Glenn, and, you're really, I feel, you're really <laughs> passionate today. I, you <laughs> know, like she's feeling great about the
0: conversation. Exactly, because I'm not offering any advice, you know, I'm just listening, right? Yeah. And those those uh, helper responses help you to be engaged in the conversation, but without adding any essence of like uh, being like this typical male wanting to like offer a solution so you'll shut up, right? Because right. most of what we say when the wife's whining is kind of like, what can I say that'll sound compassionate but will make her stop talking, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I could- I've had to learn that in marriage too. I had to ask questions yeah. like, "Right, hey, do you want to be do you want me to do you want me to just listen or do you want yeah. me to work on to a solution with you yeah, and a lot of times exactly. she's like i just want you to listen great cool i'm just going to sit back and listen yeah. and use all the words and phrases you just yeah. talked about instead yeah. of being like well did you try and she's like shut up you know i've like, already exactly. tried that like shut up she wouldn't listen to that you know okay
0: there's another chapter that i love telling the story about it's called Impl- implied familiarity also breeds contempt right there's a saying kind of familiarity breeds contempt It's like, you know, you got a buddy and you're kind of loose friends or whatever. You say, hey, let's go on a, you know, a trip for a week or something, right? And, you know, by the time the week's over, like, this is the last person you want to talk because you become so familiar that you become, you build up kind of an internal contempt, right? And, of course, Mm. it's not a great thing, but I I made up this kind of, like, a play on words called implied familiarity. And the story I give is about going into a guy's office and noticing that uh, he had a fishing photo behind his desk right like he's across the desk and oh wow that's you know you're an avid fisherman and you know like oh maybe we should go fishing on the weekend or something like that and he's like what he's like looks back and he goes he's like oh my god he goes that's my ex-father-in-law he goes i forgot that photo was even there he goes as a matter of fact glenn i friggin' hate fishing right? (laughs) I only went to please my my ex-wife, and trust me, she's an ex-wife for a reason, right? And I never liked that guy either, and takes the photo, tosses it in the garbage, right? And all of a sudden, you know, I've built up uh, this contemptuous situation by implying that I know something, right? Like, Oh, you know, you see a golf club or whatever, and you just go off on a tirade about golfing and, you know, uh, handicaps and this and that and going and do the 18 holes with someone or whatever. Like, no, you need to have a genuine rapport with someone first and allow those kinds of discussions to happen after. Right. Otherwise, it comes across as phony and they will be they will be contemptuous and want to. uh end the conversation early because of it because you become across as um
1: not genuine right like yeah like i used to train my salespeople that the safe subjects to talk about in business before you really got to know know anybody would be the city that you're in food uh weather right and right. maybe some event or sporting event that's going on nearby or whatever and that's kind of it like if you stay in that little safe zone ah oh, man like can't believe this rain da, da 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 it's been raining like this a lot or like oh we just had dinner last night at such and such have you ever been there and like you can build rapport everybody likes to talk about those subjects or is comfortable talking about those subjects and that's when you can start to build a little rapport with somebody
0: we have another rule which is uh it's called the Mike R factor and it's uh, the the how you remember it is called watch your week watch your weekend problem, right? It's this little wow. pun that you can say so you can remember how to do the tactic. And it's watch, not what, but watch your weekend problem. And so the first thing is, is you try to notice the person's watch or whatever. If, it doesn't always work if they don't have a unique watch or whatever, you say, hey, that's a cool watch. You know, what's the story behind that, right? And most people are like, oh, you know, it's my watch. They'll put, oh, my wife gave it, my grandfather, blah, 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 whatever. And then the, the next part of it is, is like this is bizarre but it really does work it's like oh you know tell me one thing what what do you do when you're not here what do you do on the weekend what do you do on the weekend and uh and um you know like i play pickleball or i fish or i golf or i you know bike or whatever you know and i mean and then the next thing is goes the third one is this so what's the biggest problem you're trying to solve you know in your job and your work and your this and your that today like what's the biggest problem you're trying to face like what keeps you up at night you know what have yeah. you right watch your weekend problem and it because it's just an escalating series of you know to, and it seems kind of like that's kind of stupid and dumb i'm not doing it and it wouldn't work
1: but you would be wrong i don't see why that wouldn't work right i mean it's it like, works and build some rapport up and then getting to the biggest problem like that when yeah. people believe that you are actually, when they finally understand, oh, I'm, this person's trying to understand my business or my situation or my problem, and they're trying to help me with it, man, that's when that's when you can actually get down to business. Cause if you, and you gotta yeah. be genuine, again, like you can't, it can't just be all about, oh, I'm trying to get a sale. Like, you gotta be willing to say, well, I'm not really a good fit to help you with that or whatever, right? Right, yeah. This is uh this is I could I could talk about sales all day long. Let's give a little chicken check here. Patented chicken check. Yeah, um I think good. it's looking good, but you know what? Yep. I screwed up and I'm running out of pellets. So for the first time in slow smoke business history, we're gonna have a pellet refill. All you barbecue purists out there that don't buy in the pellet grill, you can, you can get lost. Here we go. This is uh some bourbon, barbecue, brown pellet. You ever pellet grilled before, by the way, Glenn? You familiar with that? To
0: be honest, no, I have
1: not. I, I, how do they heat up with electricity? Or so there's like a yeah, so there's like a little uh, auger here at the bottom, and it'll take these pellets and push them towards what I think is like an electric. Uh, okay. Like a little spark, and it creates heat. It creates smoke, and okay. uh, man, it's fantastic. And it really, really gives a great. It's. To me, um, you know, I used to have a gas grill, and a gas grill, like even if you had like a fancy, you know, ceramic barbecue grill or something like, that, you always had a gas grill. So if you wanted to make like burgers on a Wednesday night, you're not like doing the big pomp and circumstance for the barbecue. You can just flip it on and go. These pellet grills 100% replace the gas grill. You know, they get for for the for the quick like let me throw it on. I'm going to throw some chicken wings on or like my kids want some drums, sticks or whatever. Like that, it completely replaces the gas grill. Cause it has more flavor than a gas grill. It's got smoke coming out, but it's yeah. as quick and dialed in as That's amazing. the other things. Yeah. And don't at me, barbecue purists out there. Cause I get it. Every time I talk about pellet grill, somebody comes for me. They're like, oh like, it's not real barbecue. And you know what? Yeah. Nobody, I'm not, I'm not like in Austin, Texas trying to open a barbecue joint. Like I'm just a dude in his backyard. So pretty, pretty much everyone
0: else I know up here does have one. I don't know why I haven't bought one yet, but I definitely need one. My uh, the 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 guy I credit the Watcher Weekend problem to, Mike R, he actually has like a smoking kind of pellet grill like yours, but he has he welded a trailer hitch, uh, and heavy duty wheels on it, and he pulls it behind his uh, behind his SUV. Nice nice he literally, to come like, over. brings it to customers <laughs> to other places. i like it man food oh food yeah, is the great
1: equalizer right yeah, it puts sure. it puts everybody for in sure. a good mood um it does well it. glenn so where can we we can find your book on amazon right
0: yeah it's on amazon or if you go to my website glennpoolis.com you can get links to all my socials i'm super active on uh mainly on LinkedIn and on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. I, I post almost every day. There's tons of content and there's links to the book on the website. There's a great little, uh, like a flyer what have you, it's called the punch perfect pitch and close that if you have a big presentation wow. that you need to do and you want to stand apart and, you know, and show the boss that you know what you're doing, it breaks it down into steps. It's really, really cool. And to how you can punch perfect pitch and then close. And, um, yeah. So you can get all that. And I'm also, you know, all my, uh, I have a Instagram as well, which I love, you know, dogs and traveling and all that stuff's on there. And, well, that's awesome. Um, I can tell you,
1: yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to get my hands on your book. I've got a whole bunch of salespeople I work with that need this kind of stuff. And so I can't wait to get them the never sit in the lobby story cool. and get through all yeah. of that. Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show. Wish I could send you some of this chicken. Uh, but your homework assignment is to go get a good meal somewhere. Go get some poutine. poutine. What did you say? Right poutine? On. poutine? Yeah. How did you poutine. Say it? poutine. 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 Yeah. poutine. Poutine. Glenn, it's been awesome to have you here, man. Let's yeah. have you back soon. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Jerry. And we will see you guys next time. Slow Smoke Business. Thanks.